Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter 19, The Hungarian Horntail. The prospect of talking face-to-face with Sirius was all that sustained Harry over the next fortnight, the only bright spot on a horizon that had never looked darker. The shock of finding himself school champion had worn off slightly now, and the fear of what was facing him. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So, Casper, big announcement today. <gasps> we are trying to raise $75,000 from 2,000 people for our crowdfunder. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> you make it sound like something to be dreaded. We're really excited for all of the different ways that we are growing as a podcast. We are expanding starting in October of this year. We're going to have a podcast called Hot and Bothered about writing romance novels as a sacred practice. And Vanessa's leading a pilgrimage this summer, and we want to do more on walking as a spiritual practice. So we're really taking the work that we've been doing with this podcast and expanding it out into the world, not only through other podcast projects, but also with more live shows. We're excited to say that we now have tickets on sale for live shows in Minneapolis, in Pittsburgh, and our first international show ever in London, in England. Will your mom come? (laughs) Yes, she's going to be doing the merch. Oh my God, I will now come. (laughs) So Casper, the year was 1998. 
And I don't remember the exact details of it, but my family was just having, like, a really bad day. We were snapping at each other, and we were just being really negative. And I feel like the weather was sort of gross, and we didn't really know what to do to, like, get ourselves out of it. And what my family does when we're, like, in that place is we go to a movie. But it was, like, one of those months where, like, no good movies were out. And my dad was just like, I don't care. We're going to the movie. Everyone get in the car. And, of course, we're all like, oh, why are we doing this? This is stupid. What's even going to be playing? And my dad was just like, I don't care. He bought five tickets to the next movie. We would sit down, and we were seeing Odd Couple 2. So it turned out it was the funniest movie that's ever been written in the history of the world. I mean, it was hysterical. We were laughing. We were leaning over each other and, like, hitting each other's knees. We were laughing so hard crying, like tears laughing, snort laughing. Like it was the funniest movie. And that just switched the mood. It's not like all our problems went away, but it was enough to switch us, to get us into a better place. And over the last 20 years, I haven't gone like out hunting for Odd Couple 2, but I'll look on streaming services and you can't find it anywhere. And when talking about favorite movies, I'll mention it to friends and nobody has seen it. And I find this to be like a very underappreciated film. A couple of weeks ago, I had the great fortune to be staying in a hotel that was showing Odd Couple 2 on TV, and I was so excited. I haven't seen this movie in 20 years. It's the funniest movie that's ever been written. It turns out about two minutes into watching this, this is not a good film. Nobody should see this. It is the least funny, most pathetic movie. I mean, it was just like soul-crushing how bad it was. And what that spoke to me was how eager my family was to be delighted that we found delight in just these, like, resemblances of something that could be a good movie. And I thought about that in just even those opening few lines of this chapter, but I think we see it throughout, that Harry is so isolated and so stressed that even just the idea of seeing his godfather in a fire for like a minute at one in the morning is enough to sustain him. But how important those little moments of delight can be. You know, I will often think of delight as frivolous, but I think that it actually can be an important sustaining thing that can turn the tide of real negativity. So I'm excited to talk to you about the power and importance of delight in this week's chapter. Vanessa, I can just see you all like slapping each other's knees and cry laughing in this empty theater. (laughs) But it totally makes sense. Yeah, if you have something to look forward to, it it makes withstanding hardship so much more possible. And I love the fact that you had kind of mutually agreed as a family that you would enjoy this. And I, I think Harry is kind of makes that agreement with himself in a way of like, okay, I don't know what this conversation with Sirius is going to mean, but it's going to be a good thing and I'm going to you know make the most of it. Yeah, I think that humor and laughter, these can be like deeply radical acts and that sometimes we have to like force ourselves into it and that that's okay too. Anyway, I'm excited to talk about it with you. First, however. Let's delight people. With our 30-second recap. Mm-hmm. So Vanessa, you're starting us off. Three, two, one, here we go. 
So Harry is, like, constantly terrified. He doesn't know what he's going to do, and he's really isolated. Everybody is making fun of him. He gets a note from Hagrid saying, come down, and I'm going to – I have to show you something. He goes down in the invisibility cloak. Hagrid, like, veers him towards something, and also Madame Maxime is there, and it turns out that they're dragons, and the first task is going to be dragons. And then he goes back up to the castle. He rushes back up to the castle in order to have this conversation with Sirius, and he tells Sirius, and Sirius is like, I know how you can beat the dragons. Got to go. And then Ron comes downstairs, and uh, Harry's like, shut up. I hate you. Wow, that was a lot. Yeah. And not even everything. Are you ready to fill in some of the gaps? You betcha. Okay, on your mark, get set, delight me. So Harry also goes to Hogsmeade. Um, also, Rita Skeeter doesn't mention Cedric at all in the piece, which is very sad, boo-boo-boo, Cedric. Um, and um, Madame Moody can see Harry, and Harry loves being invisible because finally he's not being teased everywhere, but he sees that Cho Chang is wearing a badge that says, like... No, well, he's not, she's not wearing a badge that says Potter Stinks, so that's good. Um, and Hagrid there invites him to come down. And of course, like, you know, Harry's just chilling. Um, but it's very sad. The whole chapter is like very sad. And I don't like that Ron isn't friends with Harry right now. It makes me very sad. Also, Kakarov sees the dragons. And according to Rita Skeeter, Hermione Granger, a beautiful young woman, is Harry's love interest. Vanessa, I love the point that you were saying about, you know, having something to look forward to, like something that will be delightful as enabling you to get through a really hard time. And you mentioned Sirius in the fireplace as something for Harry to look forward to. But I was also kind of thinking the way that we might look forward to a chance to unburden ourselves to like a therapist or a spiritual director or, you know, conversations where you know you can be completely honest about what's going on and about who you are without any fear of judgment. And I think that's what creates the delight for Harry is that this is a place where he can nearly be completely himself, right? He still holds little things back, but this is about as good as it gets, especially without Ron, like Sirius really embodies that honest connection for him. It's also a rare connection for him with an adult who he can do that with. Yes. I'm not sure that I can think of another adult in Harry's life that he can speak to as comfortably as he does to Sirius, which is amazing given how little relationship building the two of them have had. They have had almost no FaceTime together in which Harry has not thought that Sirius is a murderer. But there seems to just be this trust that is in part bound on this, like, photo book. Which is a moment of delight for Harry. Sirius has given him that moment of delight, and maybe that's part of what builds the bond. I think it's a lot of delight that has built this bond. I think it's seeing a photo of Sirius with his parents, so he has this positive association. And then it's, I really think that there's just this moment of brilliance when Sirius sends the permission slip to Hogsmeade. I think that that shows that he has an intuitive understanding of what matters to Harry, and that he was so thoughtful to send Pigwidge into Ron, right? Like, Sirius in these tiny ways has shown that he understands that delight is important, that it's important to be able to go to Hogsmeade, that it's important that you lost your pet. Trust is built over that. I feel like that makes all the difference. And the broom, the fact that Sirius gives him yes. the fireball, right? Like it's acknowledging and supporting the things that delight Harry. I love that theory. I think Sirius being on the run and having been in Azkaban means that he has a an embodied understanding of what Harry feels like the fact that being invisible to Harry when he uses the invisibility cloak feels like such a release like he can go into Hogsmeade and not be judged at or shouted at or whispered about like he can just move freely around the world Sirius knows too how powerful that is when he's in his dog form so there's this bond between the two Sirius also knows what it's like to grieve Lily and James yeah. right 
They have this bond of a desperate wound and a desperate sadness at the center of who they are. And I think that when you have that, you understand how important joy is and how important taking joy out of little things is. So, Vanessa, let's look elsewhere in the text. Where else did you notice examples of delight playing this role? Yeah, so I was just thinking about the way that Charlie responds to seeing Hagrid. Mm. So Charlie says to Hagrid, like, I've counted the dragon eggs. And this is towards the end of the chapter when they're discovering that there's, you know, dragons. Exactly. Hagrid has brought Madame Maxime and Harry under the invisibility cloak to see that there are dragons there. Charlie's there wrangling the dragons. And Charlie knows because he has helped Hagrid escape Norbert two years ago, he knows that Hagrid has a propensity for raising dragon eggs. And Charlie sort of rather than being scared of Hagrid or being like, Hagrid, you are forbidden from being anywhere near here or any number of sort of reasonable responses, he instead finds it charming and delightful that Hagrid loves dragons so much that he teases Hagrid in this like intimate way that like you only can when you really know someone and when you've been through something big with them. And I think he's showing one that he delights in something that other people would find to be a weakness in Hagrid. Charlie, because he also loves dragons, finds it charming and understandable and delightful. And that delight comes through in the way that he manages Hagrid and that he teases him about it rather than banning him or taking another tact. So, Vanessa, let's dig into what delight really means, because in my sense, the way I'm reading it in this chapter is that it's a fleeting thing. Yeah. Right? There's these moments... You know, he sees Cho and she's not wearing a support Cedric badge. He's so happy that he's going to have the chance to talk to Sirius. But it feels like this is not a state of being that lasts over time, right? Yeah. So I was thinking about this in terms of delight seems to be a thing that can get you through to Mm. the next moment, but not a thing that sustains you, right? Mm. Joy or something sort of more transcendent would sustain you, whereas delight seems like a very important quick moment that can, like, get you just to the next step. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm thinking of, like, cherry blossoms in springtime, right? Like, it's there for a week or two weeks, and then it's gone, The fact that it is effervescent actually makes it more delightful. Like you can't preserve it. It's a glance. It's a feeling. But it doesn't stay with us. It's not like a longer term friendship, you know, which is good or, you know, something might be sacred. That seems to last over time. But delight, yeah, it comes and then it goes. Last night I was driving very late at night. And for a moment there were suddenly thousands of birds in the sky. Like just, I mean, thousands of birds in the sky. Oh, it was the outpost episode. Yes, exactly. It looked like some sort of windstorm at first. It like took a minute to even figure out what was happening. And so there was just like this moment of delight. And it, it did. It, I was exhausted because it was midnight. I was driving and had had a long day. And it was sort of like an adrenaline burst, right? You're like, oh, my God, the world is crazy and amazing. And so it was helpful in that moment. But when I think about the things that give me joy, I think about, like, my prolonged relationship to, like, going to musical theater, right, which is a tool that I can go to to cheer myself up whenever I'm sad. And, you know, I walk around singing musicals in my head all the time. I don't think of those as delightful. I think of those as, like, sustainingly joyful. And I think that we need both, right? But I agree with you that there's something about the ephemeral aspect of delight that makes it 
a completely different kind of tool than something grander. And the fact that it's unexpected. Yes. I think that's also what contributes to it. An unexpected bunch of flowers or, or a phone call from a friend out of the blue, like those can be such delightful experiences. I'm reminded of a time when I was throwing a party in Philadelphia and I like jokingly invited one of my best friends, Duke, who lived in New York. And it was a joke because he lived in New York and my party was in Philadelphia. And the doorbell rang like 45 minutes before the party was going to start. And I was like, ugh, who's early? And I opened the door and it was Duke. Ah! And I didn't get over it all day. Like, I was shaking. It took minutes for my brain to wrap around the fact that he was there. And it was just so delightful. And I would say that my relationship with Duke over our 15 years of friendship is not one of delight. It is one of, like, joy and care. <laughs> no, right? Like, I wouldn't use the word delight. I would use, like, caring and adventurous. But that moment was a moment of such delight. Well, and I think that's why the ending of this chapter is just so totally heartbreaking. Because we have the opportunity for reconciliation between Ron and Harry. And it ends up just further congealing the sadness and anger on both sides. There's no room for delight. Like, delight was not allowed to happen because there's too much bitterness. Yeah, it's so interesting. I was thinking, you know, there's that description of Ron's ankles that his pajama pants They're are too, too short. short. And I was just thinking that when you love someone or when you're in a good place with someone, you can find things like that about them charming. And when you're, in my case, when you're hungry or tired, slash, or when you're in a bad place with them, you can find those things like infuriating and pathetic, right? And right. I wish Harry would just choose to find it delightful, but I think it speaks to the fact that there are some real hurts and power imbalances that aren't being discussed. They have real and legitimate issues that I don't think could be totally healed in a moment of teasing. Yeah, and there's no room to be delighted for one another, especially perhaps from Ron's side. He, there's just no space in his heart to allow for delight on behalf of Harry. And it, it feels like the pain is just real on both sides, right? Ron feels invisible in his life, and Harry is nothing if not visible. And Harry feels like he just is completely alone in the world, and Ron is nothing if not surrounded by people. And they just signify such profound hurts to one another. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. 
It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Vanessa, there's another place in the text that I find slightly uncomfortable where Delight shows up. And it's how Madame Maxime uses Delight to manipulate Hagrid. You know, he's infatuated by her. He's he's so excited to meet her and has changed the way he dresses and pomades his hair and all of that kind of thing. And that's slowly going away, but he's still thrilled to show her what he has learned about the Triwizard Tournament to show her the dragons. And she willfully accepts and kind of holds his arm and lets herself be kind of charmed by him to create delight for him in order for him to keep giving her information that she needs. And so there's something about delight that can be manipulative. You can use people. Yeah, I think that if you are willing to be delighted by something, delight has like a childlike aspect to it. Mm. And so I think because of that, it shows a vulnerability, right? You're Mm. open to being surprised. There's no cynicism to delight. I couldn't be like, oh, gross birds as I saw them last night, right? You have to be open to having a little bit of awe in your life. And Madame Maxime is exploiting that vulnerability in Hagrid. And that just feels so ugly. She's mocking his true delight, which is mocking someone's, yeah, vulnerability. It's making me think of Cedric, Vanessa, because he wanted to be the Hogwarts champion. He put his name into the goblet. He was chosen out of all the students to be the Hogwarts champion. And now when the national press coverage, you know, Rita Skeeter's piece gets put out, his name doesn't even appear in the article. And I feel like Cedric has to have this pureness of heart, like the delight for him in being the champion. It may be a little bit about the attention and and the fame and the potential riches that this might entail, but there's something in his desire that is pure. Like this is as much a competition with himself as it is representing Hogwarts or representing something bigger, because otherwise, surely we would encounter him be much more angry at Harry and at the other competitors, at the whole process than he is. He maintains this dignity throughout. Yeah, I think it might also have to be with being a Hufflepuff, right? Like internally, he's making Hufflepuff so proud. And so like that might be enough to sustain him for now too, Mm. right? Which is wise. We don't have to delight everyone because you're never going to. God, no, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not. Delight, you know, a reasonable number of people. (laughs) That's good enough, people.
So, Vanessa, we are continuing our practice of Pardes, the four-step Jewish reading practice. And what I love about Pardes and about Lectio is we get to choose a random piece of the text. So I'm flicking through the Hungarian horn tale, and this is the sentence we're going to work with. You know, maybe I should try and get some of the villagers involved in SPEW, Hermione said thoughtfully, looking around the pub. So, starting with Upshat, what's the meaning of this sentence on a kind of literary level? What's going on in the story? This is adorable because Hermione to the outside world is sitting alone. Harry's under the invisibility cloak. They're sitting at the three broomsticks, she and Harry. But, like, she's just sitting there by herself. And she's like, looking around being like, well, maybe I'll make some friends. No, I think she's getting really excited. She's like, do you know what? I just had a brainwave. I am going to talk to all these villagers and get them to sign up for this thing that nobody wants to sign up for. This is just Hermione at her cutest. She's a great strategist. She's like, okay, so my first plan didn't really work out. Let's move to plan B. I love it. Find a new constituency of supporters who may not be dependent on the households and therefore more willing to take a public risk. And might have more of an understanding of the sacrifices involved in not getting a good wage. Like kids don't understand about not getting paid well. Madame Rosmata gets it. So she is talking to Harry sitting in the pub, thinking that maybe she's going to go door to door and get some people in Hogsmeade to sign up for Spew. Ding! That's the shot. (laughs) Okay, so that brings us to the Remez. And this is where we choose a word, and the way we do it is to try and think of how that word shows up elsewhere in the text, in this book, but throughout the series, and kind of create this red thread that ties together a new image. So I'll read it once more. You know, maybe I should try and get some of the villagers involved in SPEW, Hermione said thoughtfully, looking around the pub. So the word that occurred to me was villagers, Mm. because we hear that word at the beginning of the book when talking about Frank. Oh, that's right. The villagers are the ones who sort of like hold Frank accountable for a crime that he didn't commit. And so we are seeing, I think, the like negative aspect of villagers is this like gossipy mob. Mm. And here we're seeing the potential power of villagers and neighbors to like rise up and support something. I think that that's true about neighbors, right? That they can be really insidious or they can be like the empowering thing that saves your life. There's an expression in Israel, they don't let you live, they don't let you die. There's a duality in villagers that I think we're seeing in this book. It also makes me think that we've seen villagers at the Quidditch World Cup, both in the kind of journey towards it, but then also the sense of new villages that are created in the moment when you're in this big campsite. Like mm-hmm. you have these groups that form around the teams, right? The Bulgarian village, the Irish village, and how we also do that in cities, right? Little Italy is like a, a village. And so there's this this constant yearning to create that intimacy even within large expanses of people. So it strikes me that maybe Hermione is doing the same thing in terms of looking around this room of strangers and thinking, how can I create like a smaller group of people who agree with me, where there's some sort of unity within this bigger space that's foreign to me. That's so interesting. So she's trying to create a village. Yeah. 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 It takes a village. So she's going to create a village out of this village. I love it. So this brings us to our third layer of meaning-making, the drush. And we ask ourselves here, what's the kind of mini-sermon that I would preach? What's the message that I want to impart or that the text is imparting to me? So I'll read it one more time. 
You know, maybe I should try and get some of the villagers involved in spew, Hermione said thoughtfully, looking around the pub. What's the drush that you would offer? So the drush that I would offer is the power of keeping your phone away, especially like <sighs> when other people go to the bathroom at restaurants or little moments like that. I think that this is a great thought that Hermione is having. And if she had a cell phone, <laughs> she would be on it. And I just think that sometimes having your phone away allows you to be people watching and then inspired. And so I think that it also sort of speaks to how helpful it is to always have a pen and paper with you so that you can write down thoughts like this. But lately, I've just been trying, especially when like out to dinner with friends, to not pull out my phone as soon as they go to the restroom. This is like a tiny intervention into my phone addiction, but I have found it to be a really joyful one. And then when your friend comes back from the bathroom, you're not like halfway somewhere else in your head from whatever it was that you saw on your phone. So I would talk about small interventions into our phone addicted life and the possible revolutionary benefits of it. Sign me up. What about you? What would your sermon be? I feel like I'm going to stay a little lighthearted, but how we name things is so important. <laughs> like, if you were going to walk around with a, you know, sign up to my SPEW list, everyone's going to read it as SPEW. And like, who wants to join SPEW? Nobody. And I just think there's so many organizations out there that have names that are too abstract or difficult to say. You know, I'm going through this at the moment, working with some friends, like trying to create something new. And there's a word that I really love, but no one knows how to spell it or how to say it. So it just doesn't work. Hermione, you have to kill your darlings. But I think it's important in a bigger sense too, right? Like you can name someone as your enemy mm. and like they don't have to be, right? And so often living in that you know, gray zone space of not naming something, a better name will appear or sometimes it's okay to leave things unnamed. Yeah, and what we name things often determines what they become. Yep. I think of Maya Angelou like words are real. You know, yeah. what we say becomes reality. So that brings us to our final stage, the sode. And the sode is the, the esoteric secret. It's the thing that's revealed to us. It's not a rational thought process. And so sometimes, as you know, the sode arrives and sometimes it doesn't. So I'll read it one more time and we'll just take a little moment of silence and let our neurons connect and see what arrives. You know, maybe I should try and get some of the villagers involved in spew, Hermione said thoughtfully, looking around the pub. Do you have a sewed, Vanessa? I was just at this thing yesterday with some faculty. A math professor talked about how he wishes that we were more transparent about our failures, that he wishes that like every time you got denied from a grant application, a fellowship application, a job application, you posted every single one of those on Facebook, just so that students could see like how frequently you fail, especially in math class, right, where so much of working on something is failing at it. And this is, we're watching Hermione's like first organizing attempt, oh. and we're watching her failure. And it's beautiful. And I just, the secret that's just being revealed to me is like celebrating my failures more. I feel like we talk about the importance of failure, but we don't talk about the strategy of failure. There is strategic benefit to failing. You learn by failing, and that matters. Mm. The other thing it makes me think of 
and maybe this is my sword, is that the pub is there as a container to hold relationships, and Hogwarts is the same. And that when in book seven, institutions have been crushed and people no longer are safe to congregate together, it's a strategy of isolating people and defeating resistance. And just especially now, how important it is for us to have communities and to and to have meeting places, that they are an infrastructure of relationship. There's this tiny book called On Tyranny by Timothy Snyder, in which one of the things that he talks about that we can do to resist tyranny is make friendships. Mm-hmm. And it's just, and he talks about making eye contact, how important it is to have relationships with other people. And part of that is that we need gathering spaces. But that is how you avoid tyranny, is that you have relationships with other people. Vanessa, if I could rest my case by saying Harry Potter is the sacred text, we just did it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week's voicemail is from Kelly Petrauskas. Hi, Vanessa and Casper. I am Kelly Petrauskas, currently from Portland, Oregon. I binge listened to all the Goblet of Fire episodes in two days and have really enjoyed hearing your thoughts on the distinctions between Mad-Eye Moody and Barty Crouch Jr. I was surprised that this lens didn't come up during your discussion of Chapter 14, The Unforgivable Curses, so I thought I would ask you a Havruta question. What is Barty Crouch Jr.'s motivation for teaching the students how to resist the Imperious Curse, given that it's presumably one of Voldemort and the Death Eaters' top three weapons against their enemies? My answer is, because of the years he spent under the Imperious Curse at the hands of his father following his return from Azkaban. Although he must have been relieved to be leaving Azkaban, he was coming home to another kind of prison. It would have been especially frustrating to be under the control of someone whose values and beliefs were so different from his own. Perhaps the rebellious teenager in him finds satisfaction in teaching youth how to fight back against parental or authority figures. What do you think? Kelly, what a great Havruta question. That seems right to me that he would think even if you disagree with me, I want you to be able to fight this. 
Yeah, my other theory is that he's trying to gain favor with the students by doing something that's like breaking the rules. And so it might just be a trust bargaining mechanism. I also wonder if, and this would go along with Kelly's theory, that he so believes that he's on the right side of this, that he is trying to teach them the tools that were used on him and therefore that he knows are effective because he's sure that they're going to come over to his side. Whoa, yeah, that's compelling. Thank you so much, Kelly, and keep doing these spiritual practices at home and letting us know your other brilliant thoughts. It's time for our blessings, Vanessa, and I am very excited to not only be blessing one, but two people today because they come as a pair, and that is the Creevy Brothers. There's this beautiful scene where in the evening in the Gryffindor common room, they're trying to counter spell all the different badges that say you know, Potter stinks. And it doesn't work at all. <laughs> you know, it just makes it worse. They're doing it for Gryffindor, but they're also really doing it for Harry. And I love that no one's asked them to do this. Harry hasn't mentioned anything. You know, they say character is who you are when no one's watching, what you're doing when no one's watching. And I feel like this really shows who these creepy brothers are. Like their parents must be very proud. Keep living your creepy best life, people. Yes. How about you, Vanessa? So I'm going to bless Hermione, which I I feel like a mockery of myself now when I do it. You haven't done it in a while. I did it last episode. A week ago. (laughs) But she just does something that I don't do well at all. She is being mocked by everyone for being called Harry's girlfriend in this Daily Prophet article. And Pansy Parkinson is being like, who thinks she's pretty? And she is just ignoring them with grace and... I don't handle things like that well. I'm like, who are you? Did I give you permission to talk about me? Like, I get very defensive in these moments. And so I just want to offer a blessing to Hermione, mostly for, like, being my teacher and showing me that there's a graceful way to handle these things. And when you know something isn't true and someone is saying it about you, just, like, keep walking through the halls and going to class. Go, Hermione. Go, Hermione. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Please join us in supporting our crowdfunder. We've set a big goal and we're going to need everyone's help to get there. Visit harrypottersacredtext.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and leave us a review on iTunes or send us a voicemail. Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 20, The First Task, through the theme of Opportunity. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text was produced by Ariana Nettleman, Casper Terkyle, and Vanessa Zoltan. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are a proud part of the Panoply Network. You can find ours and other great shows on panoply.fm. Thanks for this week's voicemail to Kelly Petrauskas, to Rebecca and Charlie Ledley, to Julia Argy and Stephanie Purcell. And if you are one of those special people who paused the podcast and went to donate and then finished, oh my gosh, a special thanks to you. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Let's do a 30-second recap of our crowdfunder. <laughs> First, no one gave money, and then everyone gave money, and, and now, we're, now everyone has given money. Good job! <laughs> you nailed it! <laughs> With support quality content like that at <laughs> harrypottersacredtext.com. On the big orange button. <laughs> <laughs>